The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Well, it's great to be here. This is my second time. Um, And sorry that Peg's not here. My wife Peg's not with me. Uh, She has to work on Saturdays, and this Saturday uh, couldn't really get off. But I'm here, and uh, it's just a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, I love what God's doing. I love what God's doing at King's Cross and through you guys. And, and uh, I was helping Dave understand uh, New England church attendance in the summer a little bit, that it's not indicative of, of the health of a church necessarily. Uh, it's just kind of how it, how it is. Um, but I wouldn't want you guys to be discouraged because as I think about you guys and as I hear about you guys, uh, as I'm involved At times, uh, face-to-face, I see the grace of God at work. And the Lord's ways are um, not our ways. Um, I was just reading um, while we were worshiping from Mark. And uh, it's one of those sections where Jesus is explaining the kingdom. And there's a wonderful uh, picture, parable there. When we went through Mark, uh, I I preached on this. And some of you were there then. Uh, It's the parable of the seed growing. And uh, this is what he says. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. And that's from Mark chapter 4. And it's just a, a great parable and explanation of the kingdom. We sow the seed and God does the work. I mean, he has work for us to do, but um, it, the, the worker here, he sleeps, goes about his business, and the earth by itself produces the grain. And God works, God does his work, and uh, often we don't see it. And then there are seasons that come, seasons of harvest. And, and so that's what he's doing here. And I see a, a lot of wonderful stuff just in who you guys are, God's provision. I was at um, the Roca Kids Club last week, I think it was. Um, got to visit and see what was going on there and, and uh, just wonderful stuff going on in Manchester. God, I really believe that God has called you guys here, put you guys here, and he's building you and he's gonna continue to use you. Um, and so that's exciting. Um, well, I get to speak today on... Uh, Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. So if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, take it out and look at Luke chapter 10. I think you guys might, oh, look, you could you got it up already. So uh, and it's going to be projected, but it's much better just to read it right there in your hand. And you guys are in a great series in Luke, uh, Redemption Face to Face. Luke is, in all the Gospels for that matter, are wonderful ways to see Jesus and experience his redemption face to face and behold him. And as we gather together tonight, that's what we're about. We're here to be in his presence, to worship him, to enjoy him. And we do that in many ways. We do that though through the preaching, teaching of his word. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to anoint the reading and proclamation of his word in a way that we could see him face to face. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're here with us. And Lord, it's amazing to think as your people gather this weekend throughout the world, every place they gather in your name, you're there with them. And you make yourself known and you love your people. You love to to minister to us. You love to 
lead us. You love to correct us. You love to transform us. You love to use us. You love just to be with us, Lord. It's amazing. It's all of your grace, and we're grateful. We're grateful that here, this evening, here in Manchester, at King's Cross, you desire to be with us, and we want to hear from you. We want to be changed by you. And so we ask you, Lord, uh, that you would anoint the the teaching, the proclamation of your word. You'd help me just to point to you, Jesus, and that as a result of our time, we will see you, love you more, walk more closely with you, and and, uh, in some way, perhaps some small way, perhaps in a great way, be more like you, Lord Jesus, both individually and corporately. We pray and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. This is the story of Jesus and Mary and Martha, a fairly well-known story, um, full of great truth. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken from her. And that's God's words from Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. Uh, Some years ago, Peg and I traveled to Ohio for uh, a wedding, a friend's wedding. I got to officiate the wedding in near Cincinnati. And uh, we stayed over the weekend into Sunday and went to visit our friend's church and was really looking forward to going there. Uh, being in a different church, just being with God's people. I don't know, you know, you guys have probably traveled and got to do that. It's always a delight just to see God's people wherever we happen to be. So we were looking forward to that, just being there and, and worshiping God. And uh, we went to the church. It was a little different than our church, King of Grace. Uh, one thing that they did differently was that they had a skit before the sermon. And the idea in the skit was kind of set the theme for the sermon, um, just to prepare everybody. And so they were, you know, doing the skit, and, um, and the skit was going relatively well. I think it was making a good point to help us lead us into the sermon. But during the skit there, if I remember right, it was a neon sign that was supposed to like flash something, you know, that, that was key, I guess. And it didn't work. Um, and it was obvious, but we more or less got the point. Um, and then the pastor got up and preached and, uh, and did a good job just pointing to the Lord. Uh, good job pointing to the word. We were edified. We were encouraged. We saw a little more of the Lord. And it was a a good time. And so afterwards, I went up and just made a point to talk to him and encourage him and thanked him for the message and thanked him, you know, just did what I could to encourage him about the time. And the first thing he said to me uh, after I said, you know, encouraged him, he he said, well, we'll fix the sign so in the second service it'll work. Uh, We'll we'll take care of that. And and, uh, and I kind of, you know, didn't stay there. I, I tried to make the point that, well, it was, it, regardless, it still was great to hear God's word preached and, you know, and, and to be here. So thank you so much for your hard work. And, and I could tell it wasn't sinking in. Um, he, his mind was on the neon sign that didn't work. That's where he was. He, he was obviously flustered by that sign. Um, and I came away from that time just thinking, I, Lord, would you just help me 
never to get flustered by the neon sign. Would you help me never to lose track of what we're really doing, to, to forget why we're together, to forget the most important reason that we're together, to be with the Lord and to be with his people. And that was just something that stuck in my mind and has remained with me. And I think it relates to this uh, story today in a lot of ways. That this story, though it's not uh, directly about corporate worship, it addresses it because in corporate worship, our design is to be before the Lord. And we can get distracted by many things. But it's not just corporate worship. It's not just um, what we do on a Saturday night or a Sunday. Uh, it really addresses any time that we're seeking to do the Lord's work and be with the Lord in what we do. Um, it's just a lesson for us in those times and lesson to us in the reality that we are often distracted from what we're called to keep as the main thing. It's a, it's a wonderful lesson that teaches us that above all preparations and duties we might have in any task, the one thing that is truly necessary is to be with Jesus. That's the point of the story. And so let me dig in with you and look at it uh, and learn more and apply it to our own life because I think this story does apply to our lives. It's a well-known story. Uh, it starts out, Jesus with his band of followers, 12 or more, they enter into this local village uh, that's just outside of Jerusalem, Bethany. Uh, it's a small village. And they are welcomed, it says, into the home of a woman named Martha. Uh, some translations say she opened her home, she received them into her home. So the idea here is, is not just like they came for a little meal, a little snack, and then that was it. This is uh, basically ancient Near Eastern hospitality happening. This is biblical hospitality happening where your guests are treated like family members. Your, your home, your resources are for them. You, you welcome them with everything. That's the idea. She welcomed them into her home. She took them in to her home to take care of them, to, to treat them well, to feed them. And it, it's wonderful commendation to Martha. Um, now, we know from elsewhere in Scripture, uh, John chapter 11 and John chapter 12, that, that Martha, we know from this story, Martha has a sister named Mary. We also know she had a brother named Lazarus. It looks like they were three single people, three single adults living together, and most likely Martha was the oldest. Uh, and so she was in charge of the home, in charge of the domestic side of the home at least. Um, and, and so she's doing her thing, and, it, and it's wonderful. Martha is actually to be commended here and elsewhere in Scripture because um, she's using her gifts to serve the Lord and serve his disciples. And so she opens her home. That's a great thing. She, she gives of herself. She gives her everything, really, to serve the Lord and to welcome the disciples in. Martha uh, is a sort of woman who you want around, actually. Um, I would say that the church, God's church in many ways, is powered by women like Martha. Women that, that give their heart and soul, that use their gifts. Uh, Martha, you know, is a particular sort of person. She's hardworking. She's responsible. She's practical, down to earth. She speaks her mind. Um, you know what Martha thinks. Maybe too soon sometimes, but you know what she thinks. Um, she's devoted to God, her family, and friends. She's a wonderful sort of person. And so this story uh, shouldn't mean that, you know, don't be like Martha. Don't be hardworking, don't take charge, don't, don't speak your mind, um, you know, don't give your everything. 
Martha is to be commended in, in many ways. And, and again, um, Martha's are great blessings to churches and, and all around. But something happened in the story that took what was meant for blessing and twisted it. Something that started out good went bad with Martha. And I, I don't know about you, but I think this is often true for me. I think it's often true for us. Things that start out good often get twisted somehow and go bad. And we forget often why we're doing something. We forget the real reason, the, deep, the deepest purpose and purposes of things, like family gatherings or celebrations, social gatherings, church, community group. We lose track sometimes of, of, of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and things go awry. We, we plan and we participate in things uh, because we love the Lord, we love his people, and we anticipate them being blessings. But much like Martha, um, often we get lost. We get lost in the preparations. We get lost in the duties. We get lost in the details. And we start out serving, and things are good, and they go bad. And, and it's really, in the story, sadly ironic that the very thing that Martha does to honor God leads her to end up accusing God, the God-man. We so quickly follow after Martha. I think what it is in, in many ways, is it's, it's what could be called a functional atheism. Um, it's where we get lost and we forget about God and we go through what we're doing as if he isn't around, if he, if he isn't God. Does, does that make sense? Have you ever done that? Have you ever experienced that? Um, what good things for you go bad? What efforts in serving for you can end up tempting you and you can get distracted by preparations and lose your focus, lose your focus on the Lord, lose what he wants to do in and through you? What are some of those things? Uh, I can think of a lot of sort of, of things that would do that. Um, parents taking care of children. We have children where they're blessing from God. We want to raise them for the, for the Lord. We get excited about the idea. We get excited at moments, but then in the midst of the press of our duties, we totally forget uh, and we yell and we get upset and, and all sorts of stuff happens. We, we lapse into a functional atheism. Um, I think different ways that we serve in church. Um, things like, I mean, family devotions at times. I don't know if you've ever had, a, you know, as a family, for you guys, for us as the Buckleys, family devotions that, that <laughs> end up, you know, there's just challenges, people not paying attention and so forth, and I start out with a great attitude, and all of a sudden my attitude goes totally downhill, and, and it's, you know, this is supposed to be about the meeting with the Lord and worshiping, and, and pretty soon I'm angry and raising my voice in family devotions. Um, what happens? What are you doing in your life? What sorts of things are, are challenges for you to lose your way and to take something that starts out good and have it turn bad? 
In this story, we, we watch this unfold for Martha. We watch what happens in her life. It starts out good. She welcomes them into her home. She's giving of herself. She wants to serve others. Um, and as the story progresses, we watch something happen. We, watch, uh, we meet Mary in verse 39. And Mary sits down at Jesus' feet. Now, we don't know when, because it's kind of a condensed story. It's not that long. Um, but, but Mary sits down probably pretty early. I imagine Mary was involved with welcoming them, in, welcoming them into the home, um, probably greeting. My guess is that she was involved with some of the initial preparations as well. Uh, probably was in the kitchen area helping to prepare food and, and arrange things and so forth. Um, and way, the way that they would have gathered back then, by the way, would have uh, been, this family probably was a little wealthier, had a larger central room, and they would have a, a, some sort of table, a low table arranged, and they would set up pillows around it. And Jesus would come in with his disciples, and, and he would sit at the table uh, reclining, so on one side uh, on a pillow, and his feet would be facing outward from the table. And probably the disciples were around this table, maybe uh, close family members, but then the neighbors might come in too, and others might come in, other, other disciples besides the 12 perhaps, and they might sit along the outside of the wall as well. And just, they're just part of that, eating the food, listening to Jesus. And at some point, Mary, instead of being with Martha in the kitchen and kind of bringing the food out and serving, she sits down at his feet. My guess is that she probably brought in the first round of food or something, maybe some drinks brought them in, stuff for them to drink, laid it down. And while she was serving, um, probably heard Jesus teaching and thought, this is really good. I don't want to go back in the kitchen. I want to stay right here. And she just took a seat at Jesus' feet. Uh, so it was maybe up against the wall, close enough to Jesus to be at his feet, but to be there and to listen. And it was great for Mary, but that was kind of the turning point at some point for Martha. As, as Mary did that, um, she was probably continuing to work hard in the kitchen um, and probably started wondering after a few minutes, where's Mary? Where did Mary go? She went out to bring out the last serving and, and she hasn't come back. Where is she? I got, I got work to do. Um, and then she probably started thinking, how, how does anyone expect me to get all this done by myself, to, to cook all this food, to, to serve it? And, and somewhere in there... Um, Probably Martha's famous spaghetti and meatballs slid off the plate and landed on the floor. And that was the, the breaking point for Martha. And she probably blew a valve and started thinking, like, oh, really nice to be Mary, I bet. Go in and sit down and do nothing while I do all the work. Um, if she had been in here, the spaghetti and meatballs wouldn't, fallen on the, wouldn't have fallen on the ground. Now I have to clean it all up. Ever since she was a kid, she always did this sort of thing. She really never helps, does she? And things got worse and worse. Uh, and, and Martha probably started thinking you know, about Jesus and the group as well. Probably like, well, thanks guys for showing up out of nowhere. At least you give me a heads up or something. Uh, let me know you're coming next time. You know, love to see you, but, but uh, it'd be nice to, to know. And, and, and why, why now? This isn't the, the right time. And, this sort of stuff always happens to me. And she just probably, uh, it got worse and worse. And she couldn't take it anymore. And it's a kind of a, 
a startling scene. She marches in to Jesus, probably hands, hands on hip, saying, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So it's audacious what she says. Lord, do you not care? She's probably thinking in there, it looks like, she's thinking in there, she's mulling over her situation and all her frustration. She probably arrived at the point where Jesus is a prophet and he knows what's going on. He knows I'm in the kitchen by myself right now and he's letting Mary stay there. And he's the one. It's not only my sister that's responsible for all this headache that I'm dealing with, but it's Jesus himself because he knows what's going on and he's not doing anything. And so she marches in and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Can you imagine anyone talking to Jesus like that? You would never talk to Jesus like that, would you? You would never talk to God that way, would you? You would never say things like, Lord, why always me? Lord, why now? Can I at least have one moment of peace? God, can you just give me a break, please? And on and on, right? Whatever you might say at times. The truth is, we're just like Martha, aren't we? And it doesn't take much to get us there, does it? So we read this story and we think, well, Martha, you know, that's, that's funny. And I, every, I know someone who's like Martha. Uh, and we miss the point. We're the ones like Martha. No matter what our particular personality profile might be, everybody's a Martha. Everybody is a Martha in that we face the same temptation. We face this temptation to forget what it's all about. We go from welcoming guests to despising guests. We go from honoring Jesus to ordering Jesus. Something goes on in our hearts and there's a switch. You know, and it's good to think through it a little bit. I think for me, what I do as I think through how I go from Martha when she's doing well to Martha when she's accusing Jesus, the, prog- the progression of all that starts out at first, I choose to do something because it's a good thing. I know it's a good thing. I want to help out with this. Um, I want to give my efforts to, to this. And it could be anything. Right now I'm in the middle of helping with VBS with our church. I'm the director this year. I haven't been the director for a while. And I got involved because um, it's a good thing. And Mike Lilly's not available. So. <laughs> but, I, you know, this, VBS is incredible. You know, a hundred or more kids and a third of them probably have not you know, been in a church and probably not heard the gospel. It's great. And you get involved for that reason, and you work, and it's work. But then there are always challenges, right? There's always something that doesn't work out. There's always something that needs to be done. This headpiece fell apart, by the way. It's, it's working for me, though. It's working. Um, sorry to break your headpiece. Um, things like broken headpieces and other things happen. Um, there are challenges. Things don't work. Um, and, and that's kind of the transition point, right, for us? We get involved because it's good. We anticipate, you know, wow, this is great. VBS is going to be great. I'm, I'm going to you know, help with my gifts. I'm going to use my gifts. And then we hit barriers. We hit challenges. And something happens at that moment. Something happens when we hit that barrier, that challenge, that changes us. 
And all of a sudden, instead of joy and faith, it's frustration and self-reliance. And we slide into this functional atheism. I do it all the time. Um, I can slide in so easily and things. And with VBS at times, yeah, I'm tempted to be, oh, there's so many moving parts here and you know, we don't know what's gonna, it's gonna be terrible, I don't know if it's gonna work. And, and, uh, and I get tempted and I, my attitude goes self. And I turn to myself and in those moments, there's something that happens. I start to turn to self-sufficiency and I stop thinking about God. I stop keeping him at the center. I stop being with him. I stop being with Jesus. He ceases to exist. And then it can go wherever from there. Does that make, does that make sense? Have you guys seen that in your own lives at times? Like, I think that's a kind of a good analysis of how those things progress. And we can take that same idea and really bring it anywhere, right? Anything we're called to do. As believers, we're called to do everything under the Lord. We're called to do everything with the Lord, right? We, he's with us always, and we're to live conscious of him and rely on him. So, so we're to be like Mary in the story in all that we do. We're to stay close to him. We're to be with Jesus. Uh, and, and yet often, in our task, in what we do, we, we forget, and we live as atheists, and we end up looking a lot like Martha, and we end up accusing God of not caring and so forth. Um, and so I think we do that. I think this story applies to all of life. I, now, this passage doesn't get into this aspect. It doesn't mean that it isn't an important aspect. Um, but it doesn't specifically get into it, so I'm not trying to say that this is the reason. But I think the devil gets in there. I think our sinfulness, our brokenness is there. The world is there. But I think the enemy gets in there uh, in those moments of stress. And I want to point you to a passage that I think would have really helped Martha at this moment, and I trust will help you. It's in from 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Do we have that to show? Excellent, thank you. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Peter is instructing, um, actually in this context, elders and then young men, but really everybody. And he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by their brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, if you look at this paragraph... And you look at what's going on, what's happening here at the beginning, it's saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you. So we look to the Lord, we humble ourselves, we look to his grace. And then it says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we're to have this attitude of humility, dependence on the Lord, casting our anxieties. When there's anxiety, when we're tempted, when we're stressed, we give it to him. Why? Because he cares for us. And then there's that sentence on the devil. And then it goes back in, the latter part of verse 9, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while. So the end part is about this idea that you're going to suffer. And, and there's a comfort in the suffering because you're, the brotherhood, the brothers and sisters throughout the world, are going through the same stuff. To be a believer is to have this fellowship of suffering together. And God's going to comfort you. So the whole paragraph is really about 
adversity, anxiety, and suffering. It's addressing that. But right in the middle of the paragraph, what does it talk about? Be so reminded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How does he devour people? I think from the passage, he devours people in their anxiety, in their adversity, in their suffering when they don't cast their, those things on the Lord, when they don't look to him. He gets in there and he causes doubt. He causes anxiety. He causes bad attitudes. He causes stress. He causes depression. He causes panic attacks. And we're mixing with that. I'm not denying that, but, but that's what he's doing. How does he prowl around and devour people? By people not dealing with their stress in a Godward way. That's what happened to Martha, isn't it? She had stress. She had things that she was supposed to be doing. She was dealing with adversity. It was hard. Her sister wasn't there. It was harder work. And that pressure, she got her eyes off of the Lord. And she put her eyes on herself, most likely. And she was tempted. And she was distracted. And, and she no longer believes that Jesus cares for her. She doesn't believe that Jesus is for her. And she doesn't cast her anxieties on Jesus, really. She takes control, creates her own plan, and casts accusations against Jesus. So how about you? When you are stressed, how do you do? How are you at casting your anxieties on Jesus and your challenges, wherever they might be? Remembering that he cares for you. How are you doing? Are you more like Martha or Mary? Well, the story continues. Mary, uh, Martha has marched into the dining room. She's saying, implied at least, that Jesus is the reason for the problem here, and probably Mary as well. And she says to Jesus, tell her then to help me. She commands Jesus, actually. Tell her then to help me. So her frustration and her presumption and her bad heart at this moment is on full display. She's commanding Jesus. She thinks that the problem is with him and with her, uh, her sister, not in her own heart. And it's amazing to watch Jesus respond. He, she comes in, she accuses Jesus of, of not caring, and then she orders Jesus. And Jesus at that moment could have said, are you talking to me? But he doesn't. He had every right to say that, right? <laughs> if anybody ever, ever has a right to say that, Jesus had a right to say that at that moment. But he doesn't. There's a gracious and patient response. It says in the text, Martha, Martha, is, is how he first calls her. He repeats her name. Actually, the form of the word, we don't really have this in English, is what's called the vocative. 
Um, and it, the best equivalent is dear Martha, dear Martha, or my friend Martha, my friend Martha. Uh, it's, a, it's a term of endearment, pretty much. It's, it's how you call someone who you know, you're familiar with. Martha, Martha. So he says, dear Martha, dear Martha. Amazing, <laughs> amazing his response to her is kind and gentle. And he knew all that was in her heart at that moment. Think about that. All the frustration, all the ugly self-righteousness, all the pride, all the jealousy, all the indignation, all the unbelief, all the self-sufficiency, all the wandering that had gone on in her heart in those short moments. He sees it all, all the blackness. He always does. God sees all. He sees our hearts more than we see them. I think if we saw our hearts uh, as God sees our hearts, we would be horrified to really see what's in there. And particularly in those moments, right? When you look back at those moments, like what was going on in me when I was so frustrated, so self-righteous? It would be scary, really scary for us. Jesus sees it all. And yet he says, dear Martha, dear Martha, his love is amazing. His love is amazing. Because it bridges that gap from our ugly sin and darkness and his holiness, his perfection, his constant eternal goodness. It bridges that with his love. It bridges between that. And not just in this moment. Not just in this moment, in this interaction. We know the rest of the story. Because he's going to go from this moment later on to bridge that gap for Martha, for Mary, for all of his people. That gap between our sin and his holiness. With his own blood, his own life shed on the cross to, to pay for our sins. To redeem us. While we were yet sinners, to redeem us. To redeem us in our blackness of our sin, in his amazing love. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like God. And this story is such a, a picture of that. And he says to, to Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Martha was distracted with much serving. She was busy helping out. The problem wasn't the busyness. The problem wasn't the many things. The problem wasn't that Mary wasn't helping. The problem wasn't certainly that Jesus wasn't caring. The problem was she was distracted. She was taken off course by the many things. It was her own attitude towards the many things. Um, that was the problem. This passage is not advocating neglect and laziness and idleness as the highest state of being. This isn't saying to be godly, to be like Mary, you need to do nothing. Stop doing things. That's holier than doing things. That's not the problem here. The problem isn't that she was, was or was not doing things. The problem was she was distracted by the things. And, and what happened was her God went from being Jesus to being, getting the task done. She bowed down to the ruthless God of domestic chores and she was 
As a result, a slave robbed of joy and peace, angry and frustrated. Her to-do list was more important than Jesus. And life is not about your to-do list. We do need to do things, and we do things to serve people, but it's not about the list per se. It's not about your shopping list. It's not about a clean house. It's not about the chores. It's not about these things. It's about Jesus. It's about those he loves. It's about people. And Martha was anxious and troubled by many things, but Jesus says one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it won't be taken from her. She had chosen the one thing, and Jesus wasn't going to take it from her because it was the best choice she could make. What is that one thing? To be with Jesus. To know Jesus. To walk with Jesus. She didn't necessarily need to sit down to do that. She could have kept on working. We can work and know Jesus. God's the one who gives us work. He calls us to work. And he says, while we work as making disciples, and this applies elsewhere too, he'll be with us always to the end of the age. This is the secret of the universe, ultimately, to be with God. John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know and enjoy Jesus is what everything's about. He's the center of existence. To know him, to find life in him is what it's all about. To be with Jesus, to see him, to hear him, to behold him, to believe him, to obey him, to belong to him, to talk to him, to hear from him to experience his life in us, to remember his death for us, to remember his resurrection on our behalf. These things are all about the one thing. That's what life is about. And Mary had chosen it, and it wouldn't be taken from her. So this was Martha's answer. And we don't know what she did from this point. It doesn't say. I like to think that she maybe sat down for a few moments at his feet and then got back up to serve the food with a totally different attitude. Maybe Mary did the same with her. Regardless of what we do, this is what we're called to. This one thing, to be with Jesus. So how about you? If you were to take some sort of Martha Mary test where Martha is a one in, in her bad state, Mary is a 10, where do you average? Again, it's about the heart, not the activity. Where do you average? Do you average a one, a two, a three? What would the Lord call you to through this passage? I love Psalm 16, and we'll close shortly with this. Psalm 16, this is David's psalm. The psalms are great. I'm so glad you guys are going through the psalms as part of your worship. These are the, the, uh, the heart cries of God's people. And David was a man who uh, stayed close to the Lord for the most part in his life. And he says in Psalm 16, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. 
You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a wonderful picture, right, of what God's calling us to in in Luke 10, what Mary was experiencing. Notice what David says, I have set the Lord always before me. He determined to keep the Lord always before him, to stay near the Lord, to always be thinking of the Lord and looking to the Lord and being with the Lord. I like to think of it in some ways like Linus and his security blanket. Everyone knows Linus, right? Linus can't go anywhere without a security blanket, right? Uh, That blue blanket. Um, as soon as he's without it, he falls apart. And I think we should think about ourselves that way with the Lord. He's much more than a security blanket. He brings joy, strength, wisdom. But we should determine, like Linus, who's determined to always set his security blanket before him, to instead always set the Lord before us, to live our lives as Mary did, looking to him. So what I want to do in closing, I just want you to take a minute and have you just talk to Jesus? Maybe you just need to cast some of your anxieties on him. Things that have been keeping your attention from him and tempting you to forget that he cares and he's with you. Maybe you could just ask him, Lord, help me to keep you at the center. To set you always before me. To keep that one thing that is necessary, my central thing. So let's just take a minute to do that. You can just pray quietly. And uh, and we'll go from there. Lord, thank you so much for the story of Martha and Mary and who you are. And we ask you, Lord, help us to be like Mary, to remember that one thing. And Whether we're busy, whether we're quiet, that we could choose that one thing that's most necessary, to walk with you, to be with you in all things. Thank you so much, Lord. This is what life's about. This is true life, to be with you. So bless us in this and lead us in it and use us to tell others about this one thing that is necessary as well, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. 
Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.